So some more reflections and teachings around nutriment, ahara. This is um, from the Sangyutta Nikaya, Connected Discourses, chapter 46, Sutta 51, some, just some extracts. Nutriment for the hindrances. What is the nutriment for the arising of unarisen sense desire and for the increase and expansion of arisen sense desire? There is because the sign of the beautiful, frequently giving careless attention to it, is the nutriment for unarisen sensual desire and for the increase and expansion of arisen sensual desire. What is the nutriment for the arising of unarisen ill will, expansion of arisen ill will? The sign of the repulsive, frequently giving careless attention to it. Nutriment for the arising, the increase and expansion of ill will. Nutriment for the arising of sloth and torpor and for the increase and expansion of sloth and torpor. And sloth and torpor is one of these curious phrases that have more or less died out, but <laughs> been carried on. It means kind of like lethargy and a sort of stiffness of mind. Mind's not agile, it's kind of sluggish and it's not agile or flexible and it's sort of rigid and also lacks energy. Mm. There are discontent, lethargy, lazy stretching, drowsiness after meals, sluggishness of mind, frequently giving careless attention to them, is the arising of unarisen, sloth, torpor, the increase and expansion of arisen, sloth and torpor, the arising of unarisen restlessness and remorse, Hindrance of worry, flurry, guilt, regret, and uh, stirred up, unsettled states. There is because unsettledness of mind, frequently giving careless attention, nutriment for the arising of unarisen restlessness and for the increase and expansion of arisen restlessness. Nutriment for the arising of unrisen doubt and its increase in expansion. Their basis for doubt, frequently giving a careless attention, is the nutriment for the, the arising of unrisen doubt and for the increase in expansion of arisen doubt. Things that are the basis for doubt. Speculation, uncertainty, hypothesis. Maybe this, maybe that, you know, projecting ideas that we're not really clear about mm-hmm. and giving attention to speculation, um, conspiracy theories, gossip, uh, and so forth. You know, we're not really that clear. We just, so the mind is never really settled because what can you be clear about? 
Now, the nutriment for the enlightenment factors, mindfulness, discrimination or investigation of states or qualities, energy, rapture or refreshment, tranquility, concentration and equanimity. Things that are the basis for the enlightenment factor of mindfulness. Frequently giving careful attention to them is the nutriment for the arising of the unrisen enlightenment factor of mindfulness. So in this case, I suggest that right view uh, is the foundation of mindfulness, right mindfulness. It's based upon a view. You, you see things, you see things within a certain frame of reference, and the reference we using is right view, right intention. Yeah. And so the mind is held in a particular way of uh, contemplating, assessing experience. And then you can place that onto the four establishments. Yeah. One is the right view in terms of the body. This body is created, caused, conditioned, uh, mother, father, born of nature, you know, subject to decay, can be used for practice, subject to decay. This is the way we regard mindfulness of body, you regard it in that particular light. And you pick up those qualities within that experience that are most supportive for liberation. Yeah. And so these are both the unattractiveness of the, or the non-attractiveness of the essential aspect of the body and also the benefit of the uh, steady rhythmic breathing of the body. Mm, these are the, basically the two polarities that one refers to. Nutriment, the resonant factor of discrimination of states, Dhamma Vijaya. There are bhikkhus wholesome and unwholesome states, blamable and blameless states, inferior and superior states, dark and bright states with their counterparts, frequently giving careful attention to them, is the nutriment for the arising of the unarisen enlightenment factor of Dhamma Vijaya, investigation of qualities, discernment of states, various translations of that. So based upon this, we move to the other factors, energy uh, and so forth, which we won't go into today. But to give some focus to a couple of points, the difference between careless attention and careful attention Careless attention, are you only so? Attention doesn't get to the point, skips around on the surface, follows the superficial appearance of things, uh, knee-jerk reactions to things, mm, going on automatic. Uh, so this way the mind is not using its power, most of it's dormant. <laughs> it's just skidding around on the immediate impact impressions. 
that which come from the external senses and also from the internal sense, the thought, memory, interpretation, get an immediate interpretation, we react to that. Yeah. You know, what we you know, go into automatic on our on thoughts and ideas. This is right, that's wrong. Mm. And we don't ponder, pause, linger, give careful attention, which allows for the agility and flexibility of the mind, the, the way the mind can give due emphasis to what's appropriate, can moderate experience. And this uh, flexibility and strength of mind comes through careful attention. The mind is naturally strong and flexible. It's intelligent if we use it intelligently. Unfortunately, case can be that you know, a careless attention comes to the fore. This can be just the uh, the way we habituate um, into, you know, social programs. Okay, get a job, get a mortgage, get married, da, 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 two kids. You know, just kind of take take the line for granted and don't. Well, what's the point of being alive? What are we here for? Mm. Mm, yeah. Or kind of stuff that comes through the media headlines and advertisements which we are designed to give strong reactions generally news is either fear or uh, passion sports or politics with advertisements thrown in to to you know upgrade the greed factor <laughs> so you get this stuff bam 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 and it start you know, following. Yeah. And so social creatures, we are prone to the uh, distortions of the of media and social programs. We're exceptionally programmable creatures. Yeah. So we get kind of habituated to careless attention. Sometimes it's just the sheer amount of data that uh, the mind is processing, not able to give careful attention because you've got to get on to the next thing, do the next thing, get it right quick. Mm. And so this, you know, factored out, and then the power, the strength, the flexibility, the warmth, the resilience, uh, the jitta, the mind, are not brought on into play. So this factor here is the difference between hindrances and enlightenment. If you look at that very broadly speaking, you know, it's got hinges around this one point. Uh, this is what is careful attention. Hmm. Notice how things are affecting how things affect us. And uh, with some consideration, we notice the results of following those effects. We notice results of passion, results of ill will, results of greed, results of speculation. The mind is turbulent, muddied, uh, 
hungry, unsettled. Mm. Mm. And of course it can be the case that this is not noticed (laughs) because the topics that we're fascinated by or stirred up about have such a luminous power, magnetic power over the mind that we just rivet to them and don't really notice the effects that's happening on the heart. You know, we've got one's passionate belief, this is right, and so forth, and, you know, and uh, people kill each other around this. The fixation. Fight over this. Fixation on a view, an opinion, a, a perception, a prejudice. Mm-hmm. And it seems right. So this right carries a huge amount of power with it right and wrong, and explore. If it's right, it should be able to be explored. It would stand up for itself. It's true, it's true. It would stand up for itself. You don't have to get dogmatic about it. (laughs) And if it's untrue, it will tend to present that. It will fall away. It will be seen as, you know, it doesn't cover this issue. So we contemplate like that. And we contemplate, does this give rise to stress? And certainly if one's fixated, uh, stirred up, there's a certain stress. It's using up energy. Uh, It's a sign of dukkha. And so the first sign we may recognize is uh, this one doesn't want to be investigated. It's got a blind compulsion to it. This is a vijja and clinging. And you might begin to, well, let's have a look at this. Feel the stress. Of that. And the search for something that's solid and secure in that and how the mind seeks to find a position things stand up for themselves and often what people don't want to know is the fact that sense contact is not satisfying so I say, well, it's the wrong kind of sense contact. <laughs> or I don't have enough of it. Yeah. No, no, it's just innately unsatisfying. Mm. It doesn't have to be a problem. The only one searching for completion and satisfaction in it is reflex. Mm. And it, can it be allowed pleasure of it to pass through? Opinions and views, customs and systems, they are relative, changeable, not complete. You can never have a complete system. You have systems that are good enough if you're prepared to, okay, bear with this and allow this and flex a little bit here. 
No, you just create another law, another rule, another piece of something or the other. Eventually systems tend to break or people slip through them. Best system is purity of heart and clarity and deep attention. And what that informs any system, you can then use it skillfully. Notice deep attention. Where is stress? Where is the fallacy? What's the effect on the heart? Muddied, stirred up, cloudy, withdrawn. Doesn't have to be this way. So again, the sign of faith. I'm recommending, you know, there's a possibility. Maybe my mind has been habitually cloudy, muddied, stirred up. And maybe I've accepted that's just the way I am. Um, but, uh, no, no, and that's, that's a condition. There is an alternative to that. There's a better. And it begins with just withdrawing from engagement. Oh, that compulsive irritation, Ken. We don't feed it, it can just subside. And there's an openness. If I engage with it, hate it, hate myself, believe in it, project the future, the past onto it, it increases. If I experience it just as this prickling, resisting, defending, fighting, How's that? Disengage. To see it, not to suppress it. See it. And disengaging causes the the mind, the jitta, to widen and open. Engagement is always a narrow focus. It's a necessary focus, you know, but it's not a compulsive focus. You can use it when it's necessary, you know, putting a screw in a wall or something, and then stepping back. Uh Uh-huh, that's about right. If we didn't do this, we'd be automatons. So that, we all have that capacity use it in our daily working lives. Eating some food, is this enough? Yeah, that's about it. If you didn't do that, you'd just be, how would you know? Something, hmm, oh yeah, it's enough. You check out, you, you survey, you're not just focused on the immediate sense contact, you're referring it to something wider. Hmm. And this is how careful attention works. Careless attention just buried into the experience. Careful attention, you widen. How is this? And the fact that the mind can widen. It's not just one obsession after another. The 
this is pretty pivotal when it comes round to Dhamma Vijaya, exploration of qualities. And the Buddha says, giving careful attention to unskillful factors rather than unskillful factors. Unskillful factor. Why is it unskillful? He doesn't fill in the blanks. You find out. Because it is compulsive. It's drawn into it. That can't be good. You're losing some freedom. It's stressful. It sucks energy out. It demands to be fed with more data, opinions, energies, uh, pictures, mental pictures, projections, self-referencing. It's a busy experience. <laughs> and it, it can use up lots of time and never get to a conclusion. This is called dukkha. <laughs> yeah. And the effect on the, on the mind. The mind is scrambled, the mind is cripped, the mind is burnt, the mind is muddied, the mind is blotched. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is unskillful. The mind is scattered, has no focus, has no strength. It's just mesmerized. This is, okay, how's that? <laughs> yeah. mm. So widening. And widening um Vijaya based upon or arises uh, from mindfulness, bearing in mind. You mean bearing in mind qualities such as uh, cause and effect, right view, skillful, unskillful. We got that reference point. So whatever a th- thing is, a piece of text, it's an incident, it's a memory, it's a person's behaviour. You know, it's a particular point. You notice in the rising of unskillful, skillful qualities. Uh huh. So, then using mindfulness of body, because these um, immediate reflexes, the jumping up and the movement of the hindrances, have a, an effect on terms of the body body's nervous system, which is what we purify with um, pure intention and with mindfulness of breathing, you're doing a lot of uh, time into this purification, calming, steadying, soothing, suffusing the body. So its energies, its nervous system is quite bright and open and, and receptive. As you're cultivating that, you can sense the effect of a hindrance. You know, the system seizes up or gets tangled or gets smothered or locks. And we, we lose that access. And whole body, thoroughly sensitive to the entire body. Because when you, if you get gripped by a hindrance, what happens is your reference to the body would tend to shrink to head chest, belly, fear, belly, face, rage. Mm. Mm. 
they're really up there. You're really aware of the energies there, and you go into them, and they get more and more intensified. So, oh, that's so you're widening entire body. Realize you have the entire body, because when you come to that, the system, the nervous system, as a way to unfold from those tangled up impressions and return to the what we call the normal state or the base state unobstructed unoccupied not preoccupied not activated just just coasting yeah. Yeah, so of course the average person may not even know there is such a state and mindfulness of body able to introduce you to that state mindfulness of breathing encouraging you to sense that state this is why mindfulness of breathing is not a process of focusing on a particular point. Or if it is, that's only the beginning where you settle in and you widen to include the entire body, breathing in, breathing out. And you've got to understand what the body is. Is it the hair on your head, your eyebrows, your earlobes? No, it means the entire nervous system, as far as you can feel it, and you keep steadying that and suffusing and it becomes rather expanded, bright um, sphere of embodiment. Mm-hmm. And the mark of it is, it feels like the body is being held. Not gripped, but lightly supported. It just floats there. Because the system is, is open, it's not obstructed. And that's part of the immense sense of relief that comes through that process because mostly we're holding ourselves together. We're holding ourselves together through a project, an aim in the future, uh, an occupation, holding ourselves together with an opinion, uh, holding ourselves together by doing something. We've got something to get engaged with that holds us together. If I'm not that, I start falling apart. If I can't get to my habit, I start falling apart. If the internet goes down, I start feeling woozy. If I can't have my morning this, I start feeling uncomfortable. If I'm not with this person, I feel very unsteady and insecure. That was something that was holding you together. And clearly, this is not a matter of blame. We need to be held together. <laughs> you know, it's pretty unbearable to be falling apart. But this is what mindfulness of body is for, to give you something that's going to be there for you right through to your death moment. It doesn't leave you. You leave it when you die. But it's there. Yeah. And when you're in that, it's just there. And it, you don't have to hold it. You can rest in it. This is the rest state. You're resting in that. And we call this samadhi or collectedness. Unified. And the, the effect of it is light. And that lightness, the jitta, also comes out of its restricted state. It's not 
dependent upon a view or an opinion. It's not dependent upon identity. It's not dependent upon making something happen. It's not dependent on figuring something out. It's not dependent on comparing oneself with others. Whether you're good enough, not good enough, better, worse. Not dependent on that. Therefore, it's, you don't have to have these things holding you together. You don't have to keep telling yourself you're inferior to give yourself a position. <laughs> you don't have to tell yourself you're superior or the same. You don't need the story. It, it, it stands for itself. And there's a lightness, an openness. That you, all right. This is called sanity. <laughs> I can't be there all the time, but I can recognize it the moment, times when it happens. You're just held. If it's not like that, you haven't reached the whole thing yet. No blame, just careful attention is needed. What, what is being left out? They come into the body, you know, very often, back is left out. Okay, let's feel, you know, just obvious things like that. Hands are left out. Uh, end of the breath is left out. Drifts off, the end of the breath. The end of the in-breath is left out. The full expansion is left out. The full release is left out. Yeah, bits are left out of the whole picture. And so we come into, as you begin to get a sense of that and how it easy is to leave things out, because you just settle on a new norm, a new pattern. As, yeah, it's actually a constructed restriction on the potential. In terms of the mind, it's even more you know, significant, isn't it? Do we leave out empathy and fellow feeling? Oh. When I'm criticizing somebody or feeling I'm there and that's there, there and I'm this, am I, am I missing out, leaving out that? They too sicken, suffer and die. They too aspire. They too have happiness. They too have virtue. They too get confused. Am I leaving that out? Yeah. Am I leaving out understanding of the limitations of sense, sense contact? Am I just still believing in that story? Am I leaving that out? Am I leaving out the awareness of the uncertainty? Time itself is not a fixed thing. It's constantly fluid. So, oh, it didn't happen the way I wanted it to. Well, is that, is that news? <laughs> you know, and sometimes it does happen the way you want it to, which is f- f- very nice, but it doesn't always. Is that a disaster or just, hmm, okay, I can be with that. I can be with that. Yeah, I can be with that. Sort of slight shudder of disappointment can arise and pass, okay. End of that one. Because <laughs> the mind doesn't want to get shut down into these negative, afflictive patterns. It wants to be in that openness, that, that wholeness, where its beauty can shine forth. Rest of it, I don't really care that much. <laughs> you know, when you've got something better like that, 
details, yes. It's not a big issue, just whatever, you know. There's contentment. Then that's worth, that's a truly, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> a very fine attainment. Is anybody content in the world? Really? As it comes and goes, as feelings and weather changes and circumstances. This is not easy. It's not an easy one. It's not nodding off in an armchair contentment, feet up by the fire contentment. It's contentment as things change. That's quite a practice to explore. Where does the discontent, the resistances, the can't bear it's that they shouldn't have, where does that arise? Widen. This is conditional reality. It's like this, it changes, comes and goes. It's not your home. It's not your home. If you've if you lived in that house you bought for 250 grand, <laughs> it's still not your home. I'm living in this monastery for, I don't know, decades. It's still not my home. I'm not, you know, I'm not blaming it. It's just, it cannot be. You can't ask it to be something that it isn't. And when you've got something else to go to, you don't need it. This is the cultivation. We notice unskillful factors. Why are they unskillful? They try to put me somewhere which causes strain, which causes stress, which causes discord, which gives rise to comparing and contrasting, disputes, muddies the mind, and tries to land me on something that cannot possibly stand up, has to be constantly held together fantasized around to keep it going. You contemplate that carefully attending, carefully attending. Mind nipita, it gets disenchanted, comes out of the spell, comes out of the conjuring trick, returns to something more whole, Um, doesn't need to be supported, speaks for itself, stands for itself. Ah, Whatever took me there must be skillful. How was that? There was a release, there was a letting go, there was a widening, there's a stepping back. There's a sustaining of attention in that. Yeah. There's a persistence, there's energy in that, and soothing in that, moving through some of these difficult areas with a gentle breathing through it. Breathing out through it, walking through it, just the steady simplicity of the body always there, moving through the rocky territory of the mind, the heart. The beauty of the whole wholeness is that, you know, sitting, standing, walking, even reclining, if you keep the whole thing, it doesn't really matter that much. I mean, it matters to a degree. Granted, 
definitely they have their particular facets and disadvantages. But you're really focusing on the same thing, which is the wholeness of the body, the wholeness of the citta, how they fit together. And through that, there's a unification. Walking, you can cultivate samadhi. Standing, you can cultivate samadhi. Sitting, you can cultivate it in this way. Uh, And a a samadhi that's got wisdom in it. Arisen through wisdom enables wisdom to function within that. Reclining. I mean, they have their disadvantages. Sitting, you kind of get stiff and painful, tend to contract, get a bit sleepy and just close down. It's just because it's just physically difficult for people to hold the back up, the spine up, just that alone. We tend to have shoulder hunch, hunch over things because of our lifestyles. We tend to have poorly developed posture because of our chairs and lifestyles. But you can imagine the time of the Buddha when chairs were very rare, maybe the king had one, where you grow up from as soon as you can toddle, you go up and you sit in the cross-legged position. You know, the body actually grows in in that natural way, strengthens in that natural way. You don't get the shoulder hunch if you're not looking at a book or a screen or driving a car. You just close the body down. You've got to work against that, and it takes time. It's worth developing it, exercising it. Also, it can give rise to a sense of kind of like a almost obsessive seclusion, where you know, close in. But it's powerful in terms of this is where you can really do a lot of fine tuning in terms of how your breathing works, how you because you're not moving body is steady, you can sense what's happening within it. Walking, whole body walking. Remember, when your body is walking, what is it that isn't moving? The spinal column, steady and straight, simple. Again, the problem here is we tend to, we're so conditioned to walking somewhere that most, a lot of the time we're walking with our heads, looking at what we're doing, even hunched over, walking. It becomes a habit. So walking upright, wide focus, softening the gaze. Feel the body walking and feel that inner steadiness as the legs carry the upright axis along, letting the sense contact move through. Of course, the disadvantage is sense contact. Yeah, on a nice sunny day, okay, it's pelting with freezing cold rain. There's a certain impingement that's difficult to ignore. And to get a bit of a scurry. <laughs> but, you, you know, advantages, disadvantages. But it also helps to loosen up some of the stiffness that can occur with sitting. Standing, yeah, standing is very good meditation because you have to have the whole body when you stand. You've got to have your legs, feet, everything lined up, contemplating balance, feeling balance, and gradually shifting your energy down from your head and shoulders to your waist and legs, they're holding you up. You can relax your upper body on the, on, the, on the legs when you stand. Of course, the difficulty is legs get tired, not used to it. And reclining, problem is obvious. 
doze off. So if you do reclining meditation, it's good to do it really pretty formal, not fetal. Uh, like body is, is agreeably straight, suitably straight, either flat on the back or on one side, legs straight, and place your attention on the feet on one end of it, the other end of the attention on the top of the head, and do a low, a light, gentle, steady scan up and down or across the body. Yeah. And the, it's, uh, the energy is different when you're reclining. It goes softer, the mind is less uh, work, working, can get dreamy, but also quite interesting to contemplate some of these, you know, slightly less personal intuitive states that arise in the reclining position. Well, of course, there's a disadvantage. That's why we use all of them to balance out the whole picture. And in the group, we're aware of other people moving around each other, operating in terms of the whole routine, the community, the grouping, and recognizing one's seizing on this, resisting that, not noticing this, dropping that, forgetting the bell, forgetting, you know, oh, widening. Soften the intention. Be present. Widen attention. Keep the whole thing. Investigate that which arises. Yeah. Into the sphere of release. <laughs>